This week, the whole crew is here. In this week's news, Innovative Products Hacker Networks Industry 4.0, Helicopter Crane Assembly, Global Innovation Challenges, and more. Construction is the world's oldest industry, but spends the least amount of money on innovation. When we realized people outside and inside the construction industry didn't typically associate it with technology like virtual reality, apps, and robotics, we started the Contact Crew. Each week, we bring our listeners the latest in contact news and interview the minds behind the technological innovations changing the way we build. So strap in, enjoy the ride, and geek out. It's Contact Crew time. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Friday the 13th, but uh, we are super fired up to be hanging out as a crew with you from all of our different home studios. I just want to go ahead and open up. Uh, We did have a a brief uh, uh, 10-minute chat last week about coronavirus. We are not going to be talking about it today. That's right. This is about Contech, not viruses named after beers. So we're not going to talk about it. I'm just making it clear to all our listeners, you don't have to fast forward through uh, any part of the show to escape that news. We're going to talk about construction tech. There's still plenty of news to talk about out in the geekosphere. Rob McKinney from north of Atlanta, Georgia. How's it going, brother? It's going pretty good. In fact, of news, I got on a new shirt today. I don't think you guys have seen this yet. Mm. What? He's got a new team. Daddy's got a new team. ICT tracker. Got a new team. That's right. Yep. Yep. Hanging out with David Francis, Lisa Duncan, and the team over ICT tracker. So I am really getting very excited about production tracking in this industry, specifically through 3D. It's going to be a fun year, man. Man, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on the new position. Of course, we're always thrilled that you're still on the crew, hanging out with us. And you got a new logo on the shirt. That's exciting. I'm sure you'll we'll see much more branded gear knowing you. And, and this new haircut, new background, it's like all kinds of new stuff with Rob McKinney. I know. Look at that, man. That's like high-speed, low-drag. That's like that's like a popular cut with the kids at my kids' school. You know, they have this. I have a new cuts, focus man. on life. Yeah, you, you, you like a, look like a shark. Like you got a little shark fin. Well, you know top. what I had to think about? Is instead of having daddy, uh, boring daddy hair, just need a little, need to change it up. Instead of pushing it down to the side, now it's just going straight up. And uh, yeah, it gets a lot of looks. A lot of looks. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Josh Bone from his place over in Calhoun, the Hoon. The Hoon. Smile every time I say that now that I've been there. (laughs) How's it going, Josh? Man, I took a red eye from Hawaii last night. So if I I feel a little bit off in the show, if the listeners think I'm a little bit just not quite there, just know that that's the case. And uh, there's, yeah, not, <laughs> not to talk anymore about the coronavirus. I've been in 11 airports in 14 days. Guys, there's a good chance I need to quarantine myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I took a red eye from uh, Con Expo. They closed the day early and I spoke twice yesterday and uh, then got on a, uh, on a flight. There are some other conferences that got nixed. And so I ended up going direct back to Texas landed in Dallas Fort Worth at one in the morning and uh and got in a car and drove I called a red eye because I, I had to drive another three hours to get home after that. But I was like, I'm just gonna get home, man. I, I I'm self quarantining. So 
it's all it's all good. Yeah, we're all we're all a little groggy today because of uh, pulling off the road. The, the nice thing is you're gonna have have some nice uh, nice time at home for for a while, which will be uh, certainly with the family. To hang out with the family. It's going to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jeff Sample, what's going on, brother? Well, I do want to talk about this week because the thing that's getting overshadowed by this whole virus thing you're talking about is do y'all realize that we started this week with daylight savings time. We had a full moon and it's Friday the 13th. That's a triple whammy <laughs> week, man. Now that's something we could talk about right there, you know? Exactly. It's been a crazy week. <laughs> it has. It has. You know, I like it, Josh. You're uh, you're already giving people a reason why you're going to be slow. What what, you, what explains the other days, man? Ah, he's just smooth. <laughs> Good point. Good point. He's just smooth. Good point. Now you're going to live at 1.5 speed, not just talk 1.5 speed? <laughs> <laughs> our our listeners frequently say they listen to us at one and a half speed, and they say that makes Josh sound like he's speaking at a normal pace. <laughs> so, uh, just, do I lose my just, accent? He, do I lose to, my to, accent quote, at one point five? I know. To, so, to quote Adam Sandler, Josh speaks at a medium pace. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've not heard that in a long time. Medium pace. <laughs> Yeah, if any if, if anybody out there has no clue what I'm talking about, just go Google it, I guess. But they're all gonna laugh yourself. at you. <laughs> it's kind of messed up. Kind of messed up. Never miss an episode of the Content Crew by having every single episode sent straight to your email inbox. I actually had a regular listener ask me this week when I was out speaking, "How do I get like an email or like a notice with the links for the for the articles you'll talk about?" I'm like. Talk about it at the beginning of every show. Text contact to six six eight six six. That's contact to six six eight six six. It allows you to get not just the audio, but then the the weekly email with links to the show notes, uh, links to articles we discuss on the show. Uh, it's contact to six six eight six six. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, get in touch with the crew by texting our Google Voice line at nine seven nine four seven three ninety forty. It's nine seven nine four seven three nine zero four zero with questions for the guest or the crew. Uh, please feel free. We had a, a bunch in the last two weeks that texted me, read some of them off, uh, answered some directly. So feel free to text us. Leave us a message, like a voicemail. If you want to call it, you can leave us this thing called a voicemail with your voice. And if it's cool, we'll play it on the show. Before we get started with our contact news, I spoke with really awesome guy, Chris Weaver, director of technology from Angie J. Egan, about how they're utilizing Dato in their day-to-day operations. And we're going to play that right now. And we're here today with Chris Weaver from Andy J. Egan out of beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan. So tell me, Chris, about your journey at Andy J. Egan and your innovation efforts there. I'm the director of technology here at Andy Egan. I've been with the company for 20 years, so I've seen a lot of different changes in those 20 years. I would say that innovation and implementation is much easier now than it was in the beginning. Things have really changed um, to a point now where you know, technology is more of the norm. You know, a lot of the guys are coming up with some great ideas and you know, really excited about things you know, getting implemented, especially things that work quickly and efficiently, such as Dato. We were able to roll that out very quickly. It helps the guys and that's well received and it makes it much, much easier to implement, you know, throughout the company. When something works right the first time and is easy to use and is very intuitive, that's why we really love the product. And we're back. <laughs> 
It is the all crew show right now, and I uh, thought we would have some fun uh, talking about uh, all things tech news as a group. I'm going to open this one up. Uh, World of Concrete may have happened a few weeks ago, uh, but they announced and released their most innovative products of World of Concrete 2020. And I thought that we could run through them and just chat because there's some really interesting ones in here. For uh, GC, General Construction Tools and Equipment, Expert Choice, the Milwaukee Tool MX Fuel Equipment System. Now, fellas, I got to actually be there uh, in Milwaukee when they released this, and I said, dear Lord, they have put batteries in things I I never thought would be battery-powered. This stuff was uh, incredible. Have you guys gotten to get hands-on? Josh, have you gotten hands-on with MX Fuel? I have. I've been up to uh, their facility in Milwaukee and got to see it in their or their private lab and got a chance to uh, hold some of these tools and uh, feel the power. Yeah, it's not the M18 line, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> 18, no. 18, 18 volts don't cut it, buddy. I mean, the, the battery is pack power. is massive on these things. It has to be. Yep. This is pretty incredible, and I got to spend some time with this. They have a 14-inch cutoff saw, a full-size breaker, a, a breaker powered by a battery, a handheld core drill. I mean, just all kinds of neat stuff that I think a lot of us didn't think it was it was prime time and ready for a battery yet. They've done some really amazing stuff with this, and they're all one-key enabled, which uh, our girl Tahira would uh, you know really love, and I'm sure loves that the program is extended to all these different lines of products. Uh, so that that was really neat. They also had the uh, you know repair and demo materials, tool and equipment. Uh, the expert's choice was custom tech. The tech level WSF fiber reinforced self leveling underlayment. I mean, this it's that, say that ten times in a row. But then uh, you know Bosch Tool Corporation X Lock eighteen volt EC brushless uh, angle grinder. So a lot of really uh, neat tools that came out. Um, that have had, had a huge impact. Business tools and technology, the Maturix smart concrete sensors. We talked about that on the show a couple of different times, uh, but these are are starting to be ready for game time. Rob, I know uh, uh, that uh, that you and I have have chatted about this on the show a few times. That there's there seems to be a proliferation now in concrete sensors. There has. It's a very interesting time to see how you could put something a sensor in this material that traditionally gets very hard and brittle, but at how it breaks. I, I'll tell you what, I'm a little more fascinated right now is the the tool just above that article, the Hilti Breaker. I was meeting yeah. with the Hilti team in Canada a few weeks back and listening to the presentations when they're talking about the vibration protection for craft workers, for the hands, sp- specifically in this tool and a few other ones, I didn't realize the severity of those injuries on uh, using these types of tools for long-term repetitive use day after day, year after year. But hat off to these guys of what they're trying to do in that vibration protection for the hand of, if you've ever hit your funny bone or done something kind of weird to your hand and had that odd sensation, imagine you have that every day from this long-term exposure. Uh, James, I remember seeing that tool hands-on up in Edmonton. That is fascinating technology of trying to reduce that vibration on the worker's hand. So congrats to them because, you know, we put the sensors in and track it for the building first, but there are times you got to go break that concrete up and that is rough and heavy duty work on a, on a human being. So 
congrats for them coming out with some more technology to reduce that risk and exposure. I feel like we are entering a phase where we're technology companies. And I, 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 you have to call these tool companies tech companies now, right? Absolutely. Jeff, I mean, can we, can we just call them tech companies now? I think we have to. I think, I think they're all showing that they're upping their game there and creating, you know, they're going to be the network too. There's, there's a point at which you can follow people, but you can follow tools as well. And you can really map and protect each other with them by knowing where they are. I actually had a chance to stop by because uh, I was at World of Concrete this year and I got to stop by and really talk to the guys about those sensors. And it was actually quite funny because I walked up and, you know, we've covered them quite a few times and I went through everything that we knew about them. And the guy was like, you want to just come on this side? And I was like, no, I want you to tell me something <laughs> I didn't know. And I will tell you what, it... There's some amazing things that they're doing, and and I think they have planned for the future of going back to those sensors, Rob, because you know you talk about this, having to go up and tear things back up and do things down the road. That's risky when it comes to concrete. You don't just want to go back, uh, Josh, right, and go back over the concrete work, do you? No. No. But what no. if, and, what and if these could tell process us other things? To check, yeah, and checking those cores, guys, putting those things in, getting those samples, putting them in a cool, uh, cooler and locking them down and testing them and going through that whole process is, is time-consuming. You get that sensor and it gives you an alert that that concrete's cured and ready to go. It can save you days of activity on that deck moving forward, and, and that adds up as you talk about multiple levels of the building. So it's... And you, you look at these tools too now. You know, Sean McGuire talked about putting these down in manholes now. that they, they have generator-type capabilities of power. You don't have any exhaust. You don't have noise. You don't have a lot of the vibrations, all those things that come into play. I mean, these are, these are real solutions. And uh, it just gives contractors more flexibility. When you think about temporary power like a NECA contractor, you need more solutions that, that you can go to the well to and pull from and say, hey, here's how we're going to get temporary power on this job because every job is, has a different circumstance and having the additional tools makes a big deal. Well, and, and imagine having all the backup data to that. I mean, we always say data is what tells us what we need to know. And to have these tools be smart and them working on these background systems of, of sucking in that data and then correlating it to incidents that happen or other trends that they see from it, it's going to be fantastic. And so you got to think, James, that they're going to get into the machine learning and the AI and, and you know, that big data analytics piece of things. So they really are in that mode of having to pivot into becoming technology companies. But what it's, what's really neat is if you meet with any of them, they really know that. And, you know, we've had Tahira on here. We've had, you know, Rob, you were up at Hilti. I've met a lot of the folks there. We've seen what DeWalt's been up to. These are just great companies and we see them making the pivot. So, uh, I mean future of the world who knows what it could be you know yeah. guys with insurance too so often insurance comes into play and a lot of times your margins are so thin and where you make money a lot of times is with the insurance and with some of these things coming into play i wonder if it can help lower our insurance rates and and help in some of those areas to help increase profitability as well are you talking like on the repetitive use kind of thing too Josh? yeah i mean as we can look at these things as data collectors jeff I mean, now we can start to see how they're used on a job site, how frequently they're used on a job site. We can use it to incentivize how we start to move work offsite. So I see a couple of different areas that we can start to, to use this and say, how, is, how are the tools being used? How frequently are they being used? And if we can put a plan together that helps us leverage offsite construction and doing what we need to do onsite with these tools, I, you know, it, it helps 
If we can be more transparent in that process and share that data, I think it opens up a lot of opportunities with how we uh, how we ensure the jobs. That's a unique concept. You're you're pretty much saying like if you're if you're proving that your prefabrication and your shop work is reducing the amount of these types of da- more dangerous tools being used on a job site, that you could actually turn around and prove that you're making your job site safer. Yes, that's really cool, man. And that's a you know we all need those factors, you know, Rob, to push prefabrication, kidding those uh, DFMA deals and and you know from a safety perspective safety's been a great driver right rob oh it'd be huge if you actually knew trigger pulls and you could heat map on a site where the tools are being used and then ultimately tie that back to the actual task of what if someone was injured doing this task with this tool at this spot that's amazing data for safety professionals to really start looking at where they need to focus in on that training or more protection or even figuring out if it's the wrong tool for the task but it all comes from generating the data around the activities be fascinating. I'll tell you this. I, I looked through the rest of this list, and while they're interesting tools, I wanted to mention uh, one that I just saw yesterday at Con Expo that was a real sleeper that I had not heard of. And maybe you guys have seen this one, but I, I hadn't. And I enjoyed the visit at their booth, and I also really enjoyed checking out their tech. Have you guys seen uh, Propeller Arrow? Anybody? No. no. Doesn't no. ring a bell. So, so this. Yeah, they they they've never we've never covered them on the show. I've never seen them in any news release. I've never seen any press release. Of course, another Australian construction tech firm that's coming to the United States. All right, so that's part of why we haven't seen them. Uh, their website is Propeller Aero, so P R O P E L L E R A E R O Propellerero dot com, and uh, this one for me was was really really interesting because they're they're selling two different products. They've got and they're using the DJI Phantom 4 with onboard RTK. And if you didn't know that that DJI actually made a Phantom like like which which is on their website categorized the Phantom is categorized as a consumer drone. It is there's no way it is it is used way more for business. I mean there's a ton of business uses for the Phantom. But it has onboard RTK, which allows you to get survey grade accuracy from your phantom imagery. Uh, you know, you, you couldn't do that before. Now with onboard RTK, it's a little device that's, that sits in the top of the phantom. Uh, you get survey grade accuracy. And so they're, they're using it for volumetrics. A lot of things that we've seen before, uh, except now with the, the addition of onboard RTK and propeller support for RTK, you can get really, really, really tight survey grade accuracy out of your drone imagery, but they're not stopping there. They built their own smart GCPs, ground control points, that are digital solar-powered GCPs. Uh, GCPs are uh, you know, control points that you put on the ground that help you align the surveying data so that you know that it's like truly accurate. It's, it's all double-checked by GCPs. If you need to find out more about that, then just go Google ground control point. GCP surveying. Really, really, really interesting what they did with their smart GCPs, the Phantom 4 with RTK, and uh, also they they announced at uh, Con Expo that they have a new product called DirtMate. Of course, they're using Mate since they're, uh, you know, Australians, Mate. DirtMate is a magnetic solar-powered heavy equipment tracker. So you basically just slap it on the roof of your heavy equipment and it uses the magnets to stay on top of the roof, powered by by solar. So it's got a bunch of solar panels, and then it's got uh, a location transceiver, and it uses its own wireless network 
on the job site to transmit the location of the equipment. Really, 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 really neat device. I got to play with all the different hardware they had, and then they've got a software and analytics platform behind it. I thought I'd seen all the stuff in construction drones, and I, I got introduced to Propeller. And the really cool thing is you can see on your drone imagery in real time where your equipment is as it's driving around over the web. So you get a real-time web-based view of where all of your equipment is and what it did wow. and what the operational efficiency and how much it was being used and where it is. I mean, it, I was like, holy crap, this is like next-level stuff. You know, dang Australians keep going over with all these awesome stuff. I, I, I was really excited about it, guys. I'll be honest. I'm looking at their website, James. This is very impressive. Yeah, Jeff. At what point do you think they link that into like controlling autonomous equipment so that you're literally looking at your drone footage, flying your drones? You know, we'd seen that from Cat before, but, you know, to have this propeller so maybe you can be mounting these things on others. You know, I recently was in Vegas and drove in a a self-driving car. It was a BMW that had been re-equipped with the tools that it took. So, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a robotics-built autonomous vehicle this could be like the base of that man yeah well this that's really what built robotics did and, and, I, and i saw the the team from built robotics spoke right before me at con expo yesterday so built has done that you know they took that uh, ski carrier and put it on top of their <laughs> on their heavy equipment but th- i think this would integrate well with that or with cat smart iron or all the these other devices i i, I was really super geeked out so for me, my favorite tech from walking around, you know, the, the, the James Benham Geek Out Award for what I got to see at Con Expo went to Propeller, man, because I I, I, I was like, man, they, these guys are geeking out. Josh? You know, I wonder if all this is coming out of Australia because they have, they're way ahead of us in their skilled labor gap and they have a much older population than us and, and their tradies are aging out much faster than ours. And I wonder if some of that's driving a lot of this innovation that's coming out of Australia, just the sheer necessity. Yeah, could be, man. Uh, you know, it's, we'll, we'll have a discussion. Maybe we'll have all of our Aussies on the show at once and have like a, an Aussie fest and find out why they just can't resist coming to America. Um, but uh, re- really interesting tech. Uh, that's my, uh, my first article for the day. Jeff, what do you have? Well, we're going to go into my geekosphere. Microsoft confirms takedown of most prolific hacker network. Millions of users affected, but in a positive way. We've all received and had our email boxes filled with really good scams over the years. They're getting better and better. You know, they're not just Nigerian princes anymore. And the little ones, they're, they're you know, learning through AI. And if you guys don't know what a botnet is, the Necker's botnet was up to 6 million zombie endpoints. That's all those uh, computers at home that you think are running a little slow and you're wondering what they're up to and you're using all your bandwidth. Well, they've been affected, infected with a little piece that allows them to use you to send out millions and millions of emails. So this may mean that we might see a slight respite in our emails and maybe a little bit of a drop in the ability for people to uh, remotely attack. And, and, you know, it's amazing the numbers when you start going into this, but it was 90% of the world's email distributed malware. That's awesome. And this was really cool because this is Microsoft and working with the Digital Crimes Unit, BitSight, and other partners in 35 countries. So it was really cool to see them working together to uh, to really come after them. This botnet's been around for about six years. You know, it, it grew and grew and grew. Um, they were using AI to go out and 
get new domains really, really fast so they could continue to send email from them because you blackball a domain, they create a new one. So they actually think they've got 24 months ahead on that um, and really crippled this group, which is, uh, it's great to see. I mean, wouldn't all of us love a little, uh, a little less spam? Rob, I know you might. Spam is definitely an interesting thing to fill up your phone uh, when you're trying to look through email really quickly of understanding what is somebody really sending me or how fast can they send this stuff? I mean, a little more security and a little more protection definitely is a good thing in the digital world, I'd say. You know, just to jump on that, the the according to reports, cybercrime damages are expected to cost the world $6 trillion by 2021. Wow. Josh, think about that for a second. Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. I mean, I've, I've been hearing this holy grail for a long time that Google and Microsoft and Amazon are going to create these artificial intelligence solutions that are going to go out there and detect all these cyber criminals and and get ahead of them and do some of those things. Jeff, six trillion dollars. That's uh that, that's that's rough. That that's scary. And I know we're all we've I've seen so many jobs that I've worked on doing BIM coordination on that ransomware has hit so many contractors in this country over the last four or five years. It's uh, and those are are astonishing numbers when you start to think about it taking down a company and shutting down their their network and keeping them from working and doing everything they need to do because it's all about email. And if you don't have internet, you can't work as a contractor these days. Yeah. And it's something you've got to do. I mean, James, you've been in the biz for a long time. You've seen this uh, escalate and transform over the years. I mean, it's been its own version of digital transformation, right, James? You're talking about the hacker networks? The hacker networks, just cybercrime in general. When I was 11 and I was in my first computer science class, we started writing our own viruses pretty fast. I remember I wrote one that loaded up into um, the, uh, the you know upper memory. <laughs> this, this is super geeky. But, but it would load itself into the higher level RAM so that you couldn't shut it down easily and get rid of it without rebooting the computer. And then... It, I keystroke logged all my friends' computers. Uh, after a while, I would annoy them by um, making their computer beep every time they touched their keyboard. And then every time they typed 250 keys, it would say, congratulations, you've typed 250 keys. And then, you know, we also built uh, a really common one. Is we built fake login screens so that we could capture our user, our buddies' um, usernames and passwords. And then we'd log in as their accounts. And then, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, that, but that was all pretty innocuous teenage stuff, which which was a lot of hacking back in the day. I mean, we never did anything bad with it. Uh, we we just like pranked our buddies. It is a multi trillion dollar business now, uh, and and so the people that are behind this are are really serious. We are definitively, if no one said it, we're definitively into the cyber wars. Um, we're well into the cyber wars where we have large good and evil um, multinational corporations battling each other, some of whom are state-sponsored. So like in Russia, you end up with a lot of state-sponsored um, you know, evil corps. Let's just call them evil corps that are, uh, are, are multi-billion dollar companies that have the backing of the Kremlin in some cases and are going out and attacking um, huge arrays of corporate networks in the United States and elsewhere in Europe primarily. Uh, and making an incredible amount of money out of it. So it's going to be a wild ride for a long time. I don't think it's ever going to stop because Microsoft and Amazon and Google can all band together. Uh, but these uh, these state-sponsored uh, evil corps are, are going to continue to gain more and more power and influence, and they'll do the same thing. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's always going to be a cat and mouse game. I was trying to find it real quick, but there was a quote by Trend Micro CEO back in the day that I used to keep up on the wall. And it said, you know, that spam is not a technology problem. It's a people problem. We've had this problem since the days of rolling carts around and selling elixirs and people believing in the witchcraft of the world and that it's a people problem, not a, uh, a technology problem necessarily. And the minute people stop answering those spam emails is the minute that that stops. Now, that was in the back in the day before we saw some of this sophisticated spear phishing and whale phishing that we see, you know, on this day and age. But, you know, enough about that. I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing me talk about the geek world. Mr. Josh Bone, what do you got for us this morning? Well, I just have to say, putting it in perspective from James when he was 11, I was typing in 7734 into a calculator and making my buddies <laughs> read it to me. So that's what I was doing when I was 11. Uh, so a little different perspective than James. So you said a bad word. All right. So moving on. <laughs> industry 3.0 to Industry 4.0, the journey for the construction industry. This comes to us from Construction Executive, and I just found this article to be very informative. And there was a few things that I, I, I felt compelled to bring up on, on, on the news today. Uh, the very first thing that stood out to me was this uh, one of the lines that says, organizations that don't have a plan to adapt and adopt Industry 4.0 and commit to solving the labor shortage through internal trainings and focus retentions will slowly begin to decline and lose market share. And I absolutely agree with that. That is that is something that we have seen a lot of consolidation in the industry over the years. Uh, we're seeing this move now from the 3.0 industry was where we were talking about really hardware and software. It was is really computer technology. So it was the IT side with a limited amount of automation to processes. But 4.0 now is that interconnectivity with these systems that are really starting to transform the way we think about construction. So much of it now is shifting to the total life cycle of the building. And you see a lot of contractors understanding there's a massive opportunity beyond design and construction phases but moving into operating and maintaining these buildings over their entire life cycle and looking at more preventative maintenance type schedules and signing longer term contracts. There's so much in this space right now. The thing I love about the industry 4.0 is, is I think this is where we actually can start to see increased margins and we can start to look at, guys, I've, you've been hearing me say this since we got together doing the podcast. I've used this term shifting from a commodity to a consultant, and I absolutely believe that is the future for electrical contractors, mechanical contractors as well. We see the shift now coming back to self-performing general contractors. Uh, there's so much now that, that the owners need partners. These buildings are getting so much more complicated and managing these systems, keeping these systems up to, up to date require a different level of knowledge. So I, I look at this, and one of the things that, that does stand out here for me again is that this, another one of the quotes, to jump from industry 3.0 to 4.0 is not for the faint of heart. It requires a high level of leadership and planning that goes in there to help you make this leap within your company. And not everyone's going to be able to do this. So it's going to start to create a separation, I think, a lot of times of manufacturing-type mentalities and the install 
uh, we do see a growth out there right now of constru- so what we're seeing now is owner furnished contractor installed or owner supplied there's a big bump in that leap now trying to get directly to the owner on on so many of these aspects so james what are you thinking about that what comes to your mind how do we make that leap in industry 4.0 in this in this world well top down bottom up right the leaders at the top have to commit and understand that the very future of their companies depends on their commitment to innovation and change. Bottom up, the people at the bottom have to get motivated and excited. You got to win their hearts and minds. Um, this is an emotional cultural battle at the end of the day, right? You have to acknowledge that emotions play into this pretty heavily. That I, I just finished a really great book uh, by Chris Voss uh, called uh, Never Split the Difference. Uh, really amazing book on negotiating. Um, and he said something very interesting. You know, you, you have to acknowledge that emotions play heavily into everybody's decision-making. We're not automatons. We're not robots. Um, we are very emotional beings. And I think that has a huge impact on uh, transitioning to the next, the next level of our, of our industry. We're at the, we're at the tail end of, uh, of the first 200 years of industrial automation started in the early 1800s. And we're just, at the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, it's, we're not even close to, um, an end state. This is, this is like a beginning middle state. And, uh, I think that's what we have to really, um, know and accept, um, that, uh, we've got a long way to go and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a battle for, for hearts and minds, you know, um, innovation is, is tough. I, Brett Young, I love his quote on disruption. Disruption is a business model change where segments of an industry cannot adapt, not whole industries, segments of yeah. an industry. And, you know, that's that's something I absolutely believe is going to happen is w- I, this may take a while for some companies, but I think we're going to see some really jump in with both feet into the deep end and they're going to make strides in this and force the whole industry to come over a lot quicker. And it, it is. It's going to be scary for the architects. It's going to be scary for the engineers on the design side. It's going to you're going to have to worry about losing labor hours. You know, you got to have a long-term view on all of this. Rob, you've had that mindset of, you know, your five workflows and getting people to make simple moves into apps, and you struggle there. Where, where do we start with some of these things? I mean, are, has that been the gateway drug? What you've been preaching as a ConApp guru for all these years has that helped lead us into this? Maybe so. A lot of the changes that you see companies start with are digitizing some of the most basic workflows of a toolbox talk or a time card, a safety meeting to help them try and kind of get off center. Uh, it's uh, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about in this article going from 3.0 to 4.0. Let's all kind of keep in mind, there's still a lot of people in probably 2.0 looking at 3.0 thinking we're crazy for the words coming out of our mouth, right? Interesting time. Absolutely. It is. It is. Jeff, I know you've got to want to jump in on this conversation. Well, I want to steal your quote here, buddy, from Edwards, Edwards Deming. It's not necessary to change. Survival is not mandatory. And right. uh, I think that says a lot. I mean, you don't have to survive. In fact, I've met a few people that have decided that, you know, this is the end for them and, and they'll be out before this happens, which opens the door. From my perspective, being the one that, you know, focuses a lot on organizational psychology and change and, you know, you know, you're out there reading those books and I'm out there reading originals by uh, Adam Grant and others that, you know, how do you create not only a mindset, but an environment in which 
uh, people are allowed to be dissident and to try new things and to to challenge the norms. And I think for leaders, it's really important because in your article, Josh, that was my favorite line that like, you don't have to bite the entire chunk off now. You just have to set the goal. You need to create the environment and you need to start that ball rolling. And, you know, to Rob, you know, you're talking to Rob about his apps. I, I think of that as the snowball rolling down the hill that eventually becomes the avalanche. It's inevitable if you start it. And, and, and that's what we see so much. We see this analysis paralysis everywhere. Should I do this? Should I do that? If I do this, I can't do that. Well, sometimes you got to go and start. And in this world of SaaS solutions, et cetera, you can take a few steps forward and reset. You're not, you're not building out a server room like you used to to support all this. You know, it's a, it's a very unique new environment and people have to get their heads around it. You know, something, you know, a little preview to this year's roadshow that I'm going to be talking about is we have to diversify our teams. And, you know, you heard me talking last year about that being, you know, diversity from the perspective of gender and ethnicity and looking there, but this year it's going to be more about looking at, you're going to need data scientists. You're going to need programmers. You're going to need this new world team that a project team is going to be included in. Like, how great would it be if a GC had an API developer so that the different tools that have APIs could be linked together and follow the rule sets of, say, the project, you know, as a part of that project kickoff? I mean, Josh, I'm just, I'm so happy that you put this out here because it now's the time. It is. It is. You got to start making the moves. So, Rob, let's kick it over to you for something fun. Well, let's take it back just a step. We're talking about this 2.0 to 3.0 to 4.0 thing in the future. Let's start and look at the data. This is something that I've had a lot of questions about the past several months of, okay, so you guys are talking about using these apps, and you're talking about using the 3D modeling, you're talking about creating data. What do you do with the data? Because there's a lot of people still trying to figure that out. So there's an interesting article up on Construction Junkie. And this one is five steps to developing a good data strategy. So five real simple things. The first one, select categories to focus on first. Now for, you know, my background, I was looking at those point solutions to tackle things like a safety form or a daily report, or maybe it's your RFI or it's your submittal process. But focus on the category first of where do you want that data to come from? The second part is draw the roadmap. So you got to set out your long-term goals. You got to identify really what you're trying to do in the short term, the middle and the long term with what is the whole point of collecting this data. The third step is identify that foundational data. You know, where are you going to get it from? What are we talking about? Step number four is collect and plot. Now, this is probably where it does get a little bit hard for people. What are they collecting it from? Is it from the mobile device, the drone, the scanner? But you got to kind of set things up. And then the last part, and guys, this is probably the hardest part I would, would wager is number five, analyze, understand, keep moving forward. Uh, that analyzing of the data, Jeff, that's what you're just talking about is having a data scientist on board or James, I know you've seen a lot of work with companies at this higher level, but what do you guys think of these five steps as your starting point of collecting and even understanding what you will do with the data at some point? James, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I've had a philosophy that you collect data first figure out what to do with it later for a long time, simply because it's really hard to go back and reconstitute data if you haven't been collecting it. Right. And so if true, what, what I, what I tell all of our customers, what I tell all of our listeners and all, any, anybody that speaks like, 
if you have an option to collect, store, and aggregate data, go ahead and do it. Right? It's this is a um, an important step in in having something to work with once you develop your BI strategy. Once you kind of once you figure out what you're doing, that's something that I've, we've uh, we've talked about pretty pretty extensively. Uh, I th- I think it's important to start collecting data, preferably in a structured format. Right? I mean, there's a lot of really good machine learning algorithms that can read free text and uh, and photos and images that aren't tagged. But if you if you have the chance to structure your data even just a little bit, <laughs> it becomes a lot easier later on to to build BI dashboards and reports and everything else that's going to actually help you make uh, make better decisions. That's it. So hopefully those tips will help somebody. You know, if you're trying to figure out how to create this data programming in your company, or maybe you need to restructure it, take a look at the article, and hopefully this can help you out with some of those building blocks to get to that 3.0, 4.0 stage. James, back to you. Yeah, awesome. Before we continue our discussion. I have to get back. Chris Weaver and I had a great conversation. He's director of technology from Andy J. Egan about their use of data, which is, you know, basically Google for your construction data. And we're going to jump in and just listen to the second part of his discussion uh, around data. So you've seen and tried a lot of different technologies, data being one of them. Uh, what specifically is the number one feature about Dato that really adds a lot of value? When it comes to file structures and folder structures and just finding the information, you know, it doesn't matter how good we do things within our department, you know, the VDC department, if we can't clearly communicate that information, get that out to the field efficiently, it's all done for nothing. So for them to be able to quickly, you know, like their model says, say it, find it, build it, that's a big deal and it solves a huge problem in our industry. You know, it's hard enough to standardize folder structures and roll that information out to 350 guys in the field. Now what we're able to do is, you know, teach them how to click a button and again, say it, find it and build it. It's much easier than teaching all those people folder structures and how to access those files. So speaking of rollout, you've been uh, with data through their beta program and, and a beta program can be challenging because it's a new technology. It's not as tested. You're helping to test it. What's it been like working with them through the early goings of Dato's beta program? Sure. They have been some amazing, amazing people to work with. You know, they truly listen to us. They've got people on their team that came from the field, right? So, I mean, they understand where we're coming from. They understand the problems and they are extremely responsive. And that's been one of the really, really big things that we've been happy with is we come up with ideas, we get them over to them and it's in the software very quickly. So. I would say the responsiveness and just their knowledge of the industry in general has been extremely rewarding. That's awesome, Chris. Well, thank you for talking with us today about Dato and uh, appreciate all, all the hard work you're doing in advancing innovation and construction at uh, Andy J. Egan up there in Grand Rapids. Thanks, James. Always a pleasure talking to you. Same here. All right, Rob, you are... Uh actually back up with a pretty interesting story about the use of helicopters. Yeah, I figured we needed a little bit of a different angle this week for the show. We always talk about a lot of educational forward progress thinking things, but every now and then the mind just needs a little rest, right? And Construction Junkie, he's always got our back. So there's always an amazing video to watch. So this one, guys, is watch a helicopter assemble a tower crane on a remote job site island. Now, as a former safety director, I will go ahead and tell you that setting up tower cranes is not always the funnest thing to watch. It's somewhat nerve-wracking to see one crane 
build another crane, but take it to a whole nother level. Now watch a helicopter assemble said tower crane. So guys, if you haven't watched the video, you got to play it through. Now let's, let's, I will nerd out on a safety level for a minute. There's not many helicopters, James, that are set up to do construction work. Uh, Lieber is kind of the, the chosen brand of the ones that I've used in the past for doing HVAC lifts and some very unique things. But this man takes it to a whole nother level. So you have to watch the video link. This is on a remote island off the coast of Spain, and they're trying to set up a tower crane. And it's obviously in a very challenging environment. That's why they brought in the helicopter. But to see these pieces lifted over and over again and set, that's amazing. But I'll tell you this, the safety training involved and hats off to this crew because, guys, I've been up on a couple tower cranes doing some different work as a safety person, as an inspector. I would not want to be the two people up, the two crew members, trying to grab these pieces and bring them together and bolt them up with the draft coming down from that helicopter. I mean, the PPE alone they have to have in place for the eye protection, the hearing protection, I mean, trying to breathe, all the stuff going on, hats off to this crew of how they pulled this off to set up a tower crane, literally building it with a helicopter. James, with your aviation background, you've got to find this as fascinating <laughs> as I do from a different side of the table. I'm not a rotary guy, so I, I'm dying to do helicopter lessons because talk about an right? amazing machine. I mean, just, just an amazing machine, right? Uh, the the oh, ability yeah. for it to not only lift it, itself and its contents, uh, but also <laughs> to lift that much weight. Helicopters are simply just stunning, amazing machines, uh, and uh, and that's that's one hell of a helicopter. So th this is a this is a fascinating way to do it. You, you've got to you got to think uh, technologically speaking. There's a future where we're going to use large aerial quadcopter drones to do the same thing. Uh, autonomously, right? I mean, that's uh, absolutely. Why, why, why not? I mean, we're already talking. We're already using quads. To Doesn't have to be that big. I mean, small things like setting block. What if we could set glass? There's definitely some pieces and uh, work scopes. I think a drone could set someday to take that human being out of uh, harm's way. Be very fascinating to see that develop. Yeah, Jeff. This summer, I actually had the opportunity to watch them running power line through with a helicopter and exactly what you just talked about james was the first thing i thought of like think about the risks of the pilots etc being put through that and just that at some point in time there's going to be a quadcopter that's that's big enough to do this and to make it safer for us so but it is amazing to watch what they do i think i sat on the edge of the beach it was right across the beach from where i go in the summers and i think i watched it for about an hour an hour and a half just amazed at what they're capable of doing. And by the way, I had no idea that that's how they run a lot of the heavy power lines. I mean, Josh, it's, it's where we get into your world. And it's like a lot of what goes on in the electrical is just mind blowing. So do you know what an outdoor lineman calls an indoor lineman on the electrical side? I do not. Narrow backs. They're like, they call them, they call electricians basically sissies because these outdoor linemen they can work. They they go around chasing work, and they work amazing hours doing physically just amazing things. And you look at these guys working on that crane, the cojones that it takes to do that job. And you've got to be smart. You've got to be trained. You know, guys, it, uh, it it makes me feel like a little bit less of a man watching guys like that do that for a living every single day. So it's uh, it, it's impressive to see what just the, the knowledge and skill sets that these individuals take working along with that person that's flying that helicopter blows me away. Awesome.
Awesome. So let's move to the next news story. Mr. Jeff, you got some work from home tips. Yeah, I thought we'd have a little fun with it. We're not going to go down the rabbit hole of talking about the virus itself, but inevitably everybody has to know that work from home is is here and it's it's here to stay. And I figured why not give a few work from home tips, have a little bit of fun with it. So I'm going to ask you all to throw in yours as well here. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is, is you know, some etiquette when it comes to running meetings remotely. Um, it's, it's one thing when you have a, a large group together and you're in the room and, you know, it kind of now somewhat works itself out. But you really need to put somebody in charge of the meeting to not step on each other. I'm going to have a little fun with us guys. Even this morning, a, a trained group of us. We're stepping on each other here and there just because we're remote. We can't necessarily see in real time or know who wants to step in. So making sure that everybody who's remote has an opportunity to talk, use those chat functions, guys. Everybody who uses Zoom or uses Teams or uses GoToMeeting, there's a chat function. You can chat to everybody. You can chat to individuals. Use those to guide it. By the way, for those of you that have been watching us, Josh, you were just muted for a second a minute ago. Using the mute button is a good thing. We do that so that we can do other things here. So when you're rolling up your sandwich paper, make sure you're <laughs> muted because no one can hear. All they hear is crunchy, 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 right? This is important etiquette. Also, Get up, get yourself dressed. I've worked from home for the last four years. It's good. Get dressed. Put on a shirt. Jeff, Jeff, I got a funny story there. Back in the day, 2001, 2002, started JB Knowledge. I had no office. I worked out of my apartment and everybody else worked from home. And it got pretty ugly. I'll just say I'm not, I'm not well suited to working from home because I started like leaving the TV on because I was lonely. So I started leaving the TV on for noise. And I'd never really liked e- ER, the show, but I, like, ER kept coming on and they would do a double header every day. They'd do a, a 10 to 11 o'clock and then an 11 to 12 o'clock. And, you know, I, at first it was on for noise. And then, then I started getting really into the show and I was like, oh, crap, I'm not doing enough work because I'm into the show. And I, I knew I hit rock bottom uh, at the time my wife was um, a teacher when the, it was a double. It was like a, a two part series. And the 10 to 11 show finished and I was so anxious about what the second part was going to be that I called her and said, quick, tell me what happens. Like, tell me it's going to be okay with this, this show. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is terrible. I also like stopped showering. So I would like every three or four days shower and I wore my robe and I was like, oh, this is terrible. I went, I got to get an office. So I went and got an office because I it was terrible, but Jeff, I've got I've got an, an interesting pointer, and it actually happened to me while we were doing the show. Uh, my kids are downstairs on Apple TVs, you know, because this you know school's canceled for for oh, you know who knows how long, and so the you know they're they're chewing bandwidth up. So if you have Google Wi Fi, you can actually go in and pick your work computer, and you can QoS quality of service. You can prioritize the device so that your bandwidth prioritizes over all the streaming traffic in your house. Um, so I did that, and by the way, it cleared up all of my uh, my all of my lag on the show because it prioritized my MacBook over all these Apple TVs. So we, have, we have nine Apple TVs in the house. I mean, it's and and they they chew a lot of bandwidth for 4K video streams, you know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I- interesting tips. There's a lot of different things you can do. Take a shower, get dressed, treat it like it's the office, work your butt off, and uh, prioritize your bandwidth. But I tell you what, these. Uh, these residential uh, internet providers are not prepared for this. Suddenlink is not ready for this. Josh? Hey, I just want to say 
Uh, right now, working with Lonnie and Amanda on my team, we're using Microsoft To Do. We're using Microsoft Planner. We're using the Mind Map capabilities in Teams. We're using Dell, and we're using SharePoint. I'm going to tell you what I am really into Teams right now. It is helping us communicate in real time, and our, our CEO wants to look at our to do list and understand where we're at, making tasks, our plan, our schedule. It really is. If you're not taking advantage of a lot of the features beyond just Teams and the chat rooms and doing that type of communication, you can really manage a, a remote group very well getting into some of these other add-ins on the team side. Yeah, And Josh, you bring up a good point there because uh, a lot of you people who have Office 365 out there and you're really only using it for your email or you're using it for you know Word and Excel, but there is so much built into it. Teams is there. If you haven't rolled it out, you know, look, I'm going to offer up. If you need some help, I'm going to be home and off the road for a while. DM me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I'm happy to help you guys. I'm happy to give you some tips and pointers. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. Teams is really great for working internally too, because having a video chat really changes the the frame of the reference. A lot of you are using Slack. We actually use that at eSub as well, and it works great. And having morning standups, I think the ability to bring a team together using something like Agile, where everybody does kind of a standup, has a couple of minutes to talk about what they did yesterday, what they're going to do today, any roadblocks, any things that are getting in their way. It's called a standup. It's really easy to run through. Somebody who's the scrum master, usually that's, you know, the manager. But if you're on a pretty open team that really doesn't have those positions, just pick somebody to kind of be the MC to run through it. Now, for our construction management students and all those CSU, CU, and you know college people across the road, I'm going to give you a little heads up here. If you're on a Zoom class or a GoTo class, they do have a function that can show if you if their window is not the window of your focus. So, and for all of you at home that might be using Zoom or others, that is a feature that you should know exists. It was just really funny. I saw that going around on Twitter and somebody said, I heard this. Is that for real? And I had to say, yes. well, yeah, I've used it for a long time. Rob, you're shaking your head there. You're, you're kind of laughing. What do you got? What do you got for the work at home folks? Oh yeah, man. Working remote for four years, you learn a lot of tricks. So one, I mean, here's a basic one, this amazing view you see behind me, is that really sheet metal? Or is it a wall hang? The background that you're going to start having to utilize is something to think about of how to either hide or just get away the things in your home office you may not want the world to see. Or even, isn't there one of those features, Jeff, in Zoom and some of the other ones where you can do that masking feature that literally just puts that fake digital background behind you and only shows your image where if you just need to blur or obscure things... Yep. You just got to be careful because if you're trying to take a call from a Starbucks, people are going to kind of know you're at a Starbucks versus your home office. You know what I'm saying? The video background. I do. I do. And and one more thing. And Rob, you and I were talking about this before the show and you wanted me to bring it up. There are some folks that aren't just going to not be able to work from home. There is no way to build a building from your house. It's just, it's not going to happen. Right. So a lot of our crews are going to be out there. And you know, how do you keep a Connex box safe? How do you keep your equipment safe? I got to urge folks that, you know, this is a time that we can embrace eye safety because not only does it protect you from particulates that you're working with, but it also protects you from droplets, which is what the World Health Organization has said spreads this. There's also the ability to get all those things now when you go into grocery stores, they're sanitary wipes. Those sanitary wipes should be positioned right by your Connex boxes. When you take your gloves off, you should be wiping your hands with them. You should be wiping anything you touch with them. There are special ones that you can use, so do not use those on your LCDs. However, you need to clean your LCDs. 
Uh, if you're using a cool OtterBox case, you can wipe that sucker right off. Apple did release that it is safe to clean an iPhone or an iPad with a Clorox wipe. So it's important. There are folks that are going to need to keep working. This world needs to keep working. So, But we have to rethink some things. And there's a few tips. If y'all need any more, y'all have any more, reach out to me. Feel free. Grab me on LinkedIn. Grab me on Twitter. Or you can email me at jeffs at esub.com. That's J-E-F-F-S at E-S-U-B dot com. And uh, happy to help out, guys. That's what we're here for. Um, uh, you know, sometimes you got to lean into the difficult times. And James, we're leaning in. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move to the next story. AECOM's annual global challenge spurs tech innovation among employees. Now, we've seen some some uh, more advanced uh, contractors doing uh, doing things like this, where they are actually holding their own innovation challenges, their own meetups. This is four years in a row. The LA-based firm, which is the fourth largest construct contractor in the country by Rev, hosted their global challenge. They had 25 days to develop and submit ideas through an online system. This is from Construction Dive. Uh, they had all kinds of different ideas that came out of this, and I love idea challenges because they really challenge your thinking. They had a web-based platform to improve energy portfolios. They had 3D printed CNCT arch. They had a predictive analytics mobilitics tool to help cities plan for adoption of connected and automated vehicles, new tech to optimize and predict maintenance for sewer and wastewater, all kinds of different things. Uh, I've, I've regularly been to coins. They have an annual uh, challenge as well, where they have uh, you know prizes and, cash prizes and all kinds of really interesting things for idea challenges in the built environment. We've seen uh, Mor- uh, Mortensen uh, do some really interesting innovation days. Uh, you know, it's it, it doesn't have to be just your association that does tech and innovation conferences. We've seen some really progressive contractors doing their own competitions, their own hackathons, their own challenges, their own private innovation conferences are being done by a lot of different uh uh, really progressive construction companies, and this is definitely one of them. Rob, I know you've you've seen uh, you know, a lot of hackathons, and you've seen a lot of these type of events, and you and I have spoken in a lot of them. What are your thoughts on what AECOM is doing here? Great option. Uh, trying to do things internally first. It's amazing to see what the companies can come up with when you know they're challenging the employees, think differently, try things internally. Uh, what's that term that's been floating around? That the the entrepreneur. Of yep. how can you create things differently? I think one of the better benefits, honestly, is when you get people together thinking creatively, talking, and they're sharing those ideas. That's how you let somebody from Miami meet with somebody from Nashville that works with somebody in Seattle. Yeah, it's all one company, but how often they honestly see each other when they sit there and start thinking and talking and creating. That's that that's some very interesting ways to develop innovation. It's amazing. Yeah, Josh. I love what it does for culture. I know right now at working with millennials and, and these Gen Zers, they want to have an opportunity to grow in their career and, and have the ability to take some things and, and have a little bit of a runway to try out new ideas. And, and you develop that self-motivation in doing these things, too. I think it's a wonderful thing for culture. I think it's a great way to retain talent. Now, it also gives you a platform to see who's out there and who stands out. Uh, most of us uh, realize those that want to go to the conferences are usually the ones that are buying into the company that love the company so much. And they're usually working more than 40 hours a week because they're building a career. So I, I love everything about this. Yeah, it's really, really neat. And uh, I know that y'all do a lot at Nika to encourage innovation at the individual company level, not just the association level, right? I mean, you have a, 
you you have an you have an individual responsibility to encourage innovation in your companies and people often ask hey where do we get started with innovation and change and i give them a five step playbook you guys have heard that talk how to build a mad scientist but also having a having just a competition people like competitions to throw a little cash prize in and have some fun darren roos it man like you know turn it into a game and uh, pe- people really people really enjoy jam- gamification and uh, jeff you and i have talked a lot about gamification on stage together i mean i love the gamification idea because work doesn't have to feel like work all the time. It can be a little fun, and it's what really brings out that that innovative. And I, I mean, I'm always blown away by the rooster hiding things inside of models. Or you know, this year he was talking about doing the monopoly thing. Like those are really cool, and they and they don't take a lot. And and here's the thing for companies too. Like AECOM's a huge company, right? So they have a pretty large group to go from. But that doesn't actually preclude you by being a small organization. It can really help your culture. Josh, you talked about this, and it's, it's important to give them the opportunity to get outside of their comfort zone in an area. And you know, I'm all about, too, taking those young Gen Zers, millennials, and putting them together with our aging workforce, those people in the field that are getting their hands dirty. Get them out of the, the dirt work for a while. Bring them into an office or give them an opportunity to, to give some of the challenges, too. I mean, part and parcel is the challenge, you know? And, you know, I was just hitting on all the people working at home. One great thing that you can do to bring people together in this is, you know, Josh, you guys, I bet you found out about a lot of that Office 365 just out of necessity right now. Why not have a little hackathon challenge around what's really helping you at home? You know, do you use your Google Wi-Fi like James said before? Like, that's a great one. Most people don't know that exists. You know, I use my uh, home automation for things to remind me to do stuff throughout the day, to remind me to get up from my desk. So there's certain things that you can really bring into this from uh, th- that can take a tough time and make it great. And also, man, some of the best breakthroughs you've ever seen. We we I, I was involved in a hackathon that that came made a a huge play change for our organization. So. I'm just all for it. I'm all for the camaraderie. I'm all for what it does, but uh, I like to bring it up that you don't have to be the size of AECOM, although I love them doing it, and you can do it at any size, and you should do it. Yeah, awesome. Josh Bone, bring it home with our last article of the day, brother. Guys, I'm going to go back to the data well one more time because I want us to think about this from a different perspective. The title of this article is Suffolk's Chief Data Officer Envisions War Rooms of Integrated Data for Job Site Decision Making. So, I thought this was so interesting to see uh, this person uh, come in. uh, Her last name is Chen, and she comes from outside the industry. And the interviewer asked her a question uh, from the outside perspective, what tech or data practices and construction that surprised you the most? And she goes in to say, it blew me away that they were doing BIM and doing 3D modeling. So I was really surprised to see that. And then I realized the way that they're communicating everything is through 2D documents that are either a PDF that you're viewing on your tablet, or in some cases, they're printing out paper and the amount of data that's lost in this process. I, you know, for all of us, we've been around this industry for so long, and there's so much knowledge that goes into interpreting this data. Rob, you said something earlier when you were talking about data, and it, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's one thing if we even start measuring ourselves. You know, if I tell all of, of us, if there was no standard, if I couldn't compare myself to you guys on a body mass index, 
If I just see my body mass index is 25 or whatever the number is, okay, no big deal. But the moment that I can see that James is 24 and Jeff is 23 and Rob is 22 and I want to drive my number down, it forces me to make change. And I think so often, a lot of times we look at this and we see that we grew three and a half percent last year. And you're like, you know what? That's awesome. That's amazing. But then when you look at it closer, if we could start to compare and do KPIs, key performance indicators, and you realize that locally in your market, contractors that are doing similar work to you grew on an average of 8%, that 3.5% doesn't look so good anymore. And I think we have to start kind of looking at how do we define key performance indicators and start to measure ourselves against others. I've got to think this is coming in from someone from the outside. There's a fresh perspective there, but that knowledge of interpreting a lot of this and, and coming in and seeing these contractual challenges and trying to navigate this, we were meeting with an economist and he was going through these numbers. And he said, there was a huge spike right here in these months leading up into uh, 1999 that electrical contractors were doing, just they were doing a lot of work. He's like, but we have no clue why that was. The whole room that I was in instantly said, Y2K. We were doing all these retrofits for Y2K. And he's like, I've been looking at that data for so long and I had no clue. And you guys sit here in a room and I pull it up and you know instantly because you were so tied into that. I think there's got to be a next step of data. It can't be just enough for JBK to compare JBK and NECA to be NECA and ESUB to be ESUB and ICT. We have to look at really defining more key performance indicators. I think it's so critical that we start doing some of those things going forward that we can measure against others and look at trends and what are, what's happening around us. Jeff, what are your thoughts on that? I think from the title, just the fact that they have a chief data officer is is key. That's showing, you know, I wanted to jump in earlier on Rob's when he was talking about data. I refer to it as um, the raw materials, right? So gathering that data is creating raw materials that people like this can work with. And I think, you know, James, you beat this into my head. You know, it's it's facts, not feelings. And, you know, to really know and truly have those KPIs around how you're doing is it, it's important. Internally, there's things like you said, you know, oh, we grew 3%, Josh, and and you grew 3%, but, you know, everybody else grew 8%. That's a, that, that'd be really challenging and great to know as well. But what if you grew 3% in revenue? But your costs grew by 5%. It's actually shrank by 2% when it comes to a revenue perspective. Like you have to look at that. And I love the idea of a war room on not just deciding on how you win the work, but whether or not you want that work, you know, picking the work that's best for you. You're only going to know that by looking at the data and being able to slice it up in a way that you can visualize it and know, you know, in which area you're doing that. And then you know, when you talk about taking this to the job site, you know, I, I had an opportunity to sit down with a, a, a new software this week, join.build. And, you know, they're starting to look at helping out bringing this data to the forefront so that you can make not just judgment-based decisions, but value-based decisions. You know, there's a lot of this stuff going on with value engineering right now. And, you know, we're designing as we're building and we need to know the ramifications of the decisions we make. We might save a little bit of money here. We might save a little bit of money there. But hey, here's some options. And bringing in all those, you know, trade contractors, suppliers, the GC, the architects, and to help them design and make those decisions based on data is key because data-driven decisions are the things that are really going to give us what we need. Because, you know, James knows I'm a feelings guy. I need facts or else I'm I'm always going to think, you know, it's sunny and beautiful out. Right, James? Jeff has a lot of feelings. 
He has a lot of feelings. And I, I, mean, I love you, brother. I mean, it's... Uh, I'm a lover, man. <laughs> EOS is the system we use to run JB Knowledge's entrepreneurial operating system. It's not a software package. It's a way of doing business. And something that's really pivotal, Josh, in EOS is our weekly scorecards. Um, weekly scorecards are your KPIs for business performance, and you review them as a team every week together. And you you find out real fast if things aren't going well, right? Because you ha- as long as those scorecards matter... And what we say is if the scorecard, if you find that you're ignoring it every week, then get rid of it. That's a, that, that score obviously doesn't matter if you're uh, ignoring the fact that you're missing it. And so we have continually, and that, that's the thing, Josh, is KPIs, scores, it, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's called you know accountability with information, right? Accountability with data. Yes. It's only worthwhile if you're in a constant state of evaluation on whether or not you need that score. We are constantly moving scores in and out, in or out of our leadership team meetings. We're constantly moving scores for our teams. We're always, always changing the score because they're like, you're okay, this one, yeah, yeah, this one matters and this one doesn't. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it, it, is, it is critical to business performance, but from a technology perspective, it's also critical to innovation teams to find out if the efforts you have underway are actually being effective. Josh? You know, one of the things I want to say here, Rob, before I toss this over to you, because I think it's very important. The quote was the data war room. You've been a general contractor and you've worked with the trade partners. The last thing we can do in this process is weaponize this data. We have to do root cause analysis. And if it's a problem that the general contractor has created, we need to analyze that. And then Suffolk needs to be able to own that and take that. If it's a partner, it's a trade partner, if it's the architect, if it's the owner, we've got to be more transparent in this data and make sure we're not weaponizing it to drive more silos and more more challenges into this process. Well, I think when you use the term weaponize, if they're using it internally, proactively for the benefit of the organization and the industry, that's where it's going to excel, right? Because two things that came to my mind after reading the article, thinking about what would a data war room help do? Well, first, guys, it would eliminate guesstimates because you would truly have valid estimates. And James, you know what I'm talking about with backfeeding the data. If you're just guessing at those production rates in the field and the hours worked, what do you really know? If you have true data coming from those time cards feeding back into the production stats, I think we could get a lot more clear quickly if you're sitting there around that data table looking at things in real time. The second one, Josh, when this would where the data would really come in, and this is going to be a cultural issue, and I'll be curious to see how companies would react to this, but we all know about cash flow jobs, right? Would you now continue to take cash flow jobs to keep money coming in the door, even when you know it's a stinker up front when you have historic analysis to show that those cash flow jobs actually make it worse for your company's overall health versus maybe making some cutbacks in other areas and trying to weather that storm? What do you think? You know, I think that's a great question. I think what by learning from this data, we're going to ask better questions, Rob. And I think we'll learn more about should we be taking on those projects? Does the risk outweigh the reward? And uh, yeah, that right. that's where we need to be heading with this is more more informed decision making processes. And we need to make sure that someone is really staying neutral in this process, that we are looking at the data, that we are truly analyzing it, that 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 they're being objective and not biased and weaponizing this data. Because if we do that, we're going to break down the gains that we would make by building trust and through the transparency of this process. Because we're going to have to be very transparent to get this to work out well. So, James, that's it okay. for me, buddy. Yeah, so we're wrapping up the news now. We did have uh, three different listeners text in questions. And so uh, 
and and and, and look, we we went the whole show. We we focused on tech today. Woo! Uh, that's awesome. We do have some COVID nineteen questions, but we have. I want to I want to bring these three questions to you. Uh, first, the funny one is McKinney trying to look like a pro wrestler with that haircut. Always trying to emulate my alter ego that never was meant to be. And the background. <laughs> and the background. I know. I mean, bring the diamond cutter out, right? Or, exactly. or do oh, we man. bring the rock? Can you smell? <laughs> I don't want to say it because I think that's trademarked. And if I complete the phrase, I'll have to pay a royalty <laughs> to him. But. You do. Or he will show up and want a pound of flesh. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, McKinney, um, they think you are going pro wrestler. Uh, second caller, and I think Rob, you were the one that talked about this. Do you think the N95 filter masks are going to be standard PPE on job sites? I don't think so. I've had so many people asking me about that. From the safety side of this, you got to remember that is a particulate mask and it's going after respirable things that are obviously small, but it is not the same thing. And Jeff and I are talking about this off air. Here's the whole issue. If you're wearing one of these respirators out in public, thinking that you're protecting yourself or protecting others, you're basically in you know a contaminated environment. Are you honestly telling me that you're going to keep that thing on for eight to nine solid hours? You're not going to take it off to take a drink of water, drink some coffee, eat something, smoke a cigarette. The minute you take it off, in theory, right, your protection just went out the window. So I mean, you may see a reaction of people prescribing these N95 respirators across the board, but are they really effective? You got to go and look at what the scientific data and all this, the sites like the CDC, the World Health Organization, what are they telling you? But let's be honest with each other. Are you really going to keep that respirator on for eight to 10 hours? Or Jeff, people like you and me right now, what does it mean with this uh, gorgeous facial hair for wearing a respirator? Yeah, you really can't have uh, facial hair for that. So if you are going to go down that route, yeah, there's a lot to do with sizing them correctly, making sure they're being worn cor- correctly, replacing them at the right time. Now, if you do have the virus or you believe you might, then putting it on is actually the protector for other people. So it's really not about protecting yourself. Um, it's about protecting you from infecting others is where that comes important. But if you have those symptoms, you got to remove yourself from the job site, really. Um, so that should be also one of the things is, is putting in there the standard idea in the morning that if you're sick, don't come. Uh, and you know, that's going to be a, it's going to be a trouble. And there's going to be a lot of, uh, construction organizations that have to think about paying those hourly employees that can't show up. Not a lot of them have paid sick time. So it's important and the masks aren't uh, going to be PPE. Although if you guys are out there working with silica dust, you ought to learn about them anyway. Yeah. The last caller texted, uh, what do you think the impact of COVID will be for conferences this spring, summer? I'm going to field this uh, the first one. Who the hell knows? Seriously. I think the wise move right now is to just plan in, in two to four week increments at this point and say, we're going to take the whole world to two, three weeks at a time and see what, uh, what, you know, government sanctions are and, you know, standards. I mean, we're probably looking at a, you know, global shutdown of all travel. Um, we're probably looking at global shutdown of all gatherings larger than 10 to 50 people. You know, so you're, you're, we're staring at so and, and, and look, these, these measures guys, I mean, with as, with as rapidly as this thing, uh, transmits itself, they make, it makes sense because it, it's been proven now in Korea and China that they're able to really get the transmission under control by capping events and large public gatherings. I mean, they're really able to, to significantly reduce the uh, transmission rate. So I, I understand why they're doing it. So I, I think, I think, you know, everything's uh, for the next few months is, uh, is at risk uh, from, uh, from an event perspective, but you know, at, at the same time, I have, I do have faith and confidence in uh, both technology 
our modern medical system, the profit incentive for somebody to uh, release a vaccine and uh, medicine is massive. I mean, there there is a lot of money at play here for someone to fix this. <laughs> and so, I mean, we're talking trillions of dollars are at stake. So, you know, I, I, I just, I have a strong feeling that there's, there's thousands of companies working on this as well as, uh, you know, well north of a hundred governments that are working on this. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no end to human ingenuity and thank God for the internet. Can you imagine guys, if we didn't have the internet right now, how would you coordinate a response on this? It would be, it'd be extremely challenging. So that that's my thought on the, on the, on the conferences and events. Certainly con expo was wrapped up a day early. Uh, a bunch of, a bunch of conferences were canceled for the next, uh, you know, t- you know, three to four weeks, all the large concerts are, all the large, you know, sporting events, etc. So I think everything's on the table, and that's understandable. Um, that being said, I think that everything that's going on in mid to late April and beyond should just stay on the schedule until you get closer to that time and find out what the conditions are, because the the conditions are changing daily. And the you know, so that that's kind of my thoughts on it, Josh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. I've gone from one extreme to the other in the same day thinking, no, this is no big deal to this is a huge deal. So I'm not even going to claim to know what's going to happen. But I'm like you, James, kind of take it. Look, about the next three to four weeks, things are going to be slow and then reevaluate at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff? I have to agree with you. It's the time to be patient. Don't freak out. Uh, we got too many people panicking. You know, uh, keep calm. You know, that's the yeah. that that wonderful poster that you know. Keep, keep calm, calm and, and carry on, on, buddy. I mean, yeah, it is important though to for for everybody out there. Uh, you know, we did have a few canceled. I've I've talked to a few of them myself, and you know, it takes a lot of guts and courage for them to go ahead and do this. They're facing down a lot of money and some financial hardships from it, and uh, I, I want to give them all credit for for doing that and thinking of the safety of all of us first. That's really important. And, uh, you know, I got, I, I'm going to totally jump off topic for a quick second. Since I'm home for the next couple of weeks, my good friend, Sid, uh, Ab, I'm going to butcher his last name, Abinoff. Y'all know Sid, the kid. Uh, he gave me this site called Kaggle.com, K-A-G-G-L-E.com. And there's a, all these public data sets to work with. So uh, on the topic of our data, go to Kaggle.com. Uh, I'm teaching myself Python. Uh, right now to utilize this and start building my own machine learning algorithms. So to really start to get involved in it. So for all my con tech geeks out there, go to Kaggle.com. It's free to use, cool sets, learn something new, have a little hack. So instead of going to a conference, well, make something new for when the conferences start up. So you got something cool. Rob, what do you got, man? Take care of yourself, your family, your friends. A lot of people know the right smart thing to do. Just do that. You know, it's an odd time. To stay safe. Everybody take care of themselves. Yeah. All right, Rob, we have a request for you to do a WWE-style hype video. I want you to think about that. I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you do it right now, but, uh, <laughs> you know. We're, I think we're, I know which listener is pinging us for these requests. Yeah. What would your what would your, um, what would your wrestler name be, Rob? Do you want the honest, legitimate one I actually thought about way back yeah. in the day? Yeah. I had a whole gimmick worked up as the choir boy. Come out, full robes have little thing and I'd hit people with all my props that I carried out to the ring. Secret insider knowledge right there. <laughs> Rob the choir boy McKinney. 
Josh is definitely digging that vibe. I can tell just from the breathing patterns. Oh, I love it. I love it. The choir boy, man. I love it. The choir boy. The choir boy. Ultimate heel, right? It's, you know, one of those double entendre kind of things. You're coming out, you're supposed to be a nice person, but no, it'd be the evil choir boy hitting you with all the The Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist, man. That's the way to go. (laughs) Like you, you, you literally pull the props out from under your choir robe, right? Yeah. No, I mean, let's think about it. If you really know Southern wrestling at its finest, somebody's already taken the tennis racket, the snake. There's a lot of things already taken. I was trying to come a little off center. You know, I have that degree in religion and philosophy. The mind tends to wander, man. But that would have been you would be the healer. Your finishing move would be the healer. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Be healed. You're healed. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I will think about it though. For one of the next road shows, we'll come up with a wrestling style promo for a future road show. Yeah. Well, hey, um, if you, uh, for all you listeners out there now, if you if you're going to stay home for a little bit, is a wonderful time to get your Oculus Quest and have a virtual reality uh, adventure outside the house. Just saying, just make sure you wipe it off between uses. But uh, this is a uh, it's a great time to use this little device. I know I'm going to be inside mine today, uh, pretending to be on the beaches of Maui like I was supposed to be today. But uh, it's all good. It's all good. Well, guys, uh, as usual, a hell of a fun show with the crew talking about uh, construction technology and uh, focusing on all things positive. Uh, So thank you for joining us out there in listener land today. Uh, Appreciate uh, Jeff, Josh, Rob, you guys for for signing on and, uh, you know, Josh for uh, red eyeing it back and and, uh, being up bright and early. Uh, I'm in the same boat with you, so I appreciate you uh, joining me. And that uh, thank you for tuning in today to Geek Out episode 210, our special all crew episode. Join us next week, 211, with Nicole Schumacher and Pat Sermon from Texas AM talk about construction in space. Sorry, space construction. To read all of our news stories, learn more about apps, workflows, and hardware, subscribe to our newsletter at jbknowledge.com or to our podcast by texting contact to 66866. A big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonaro, creative producer, ad coordinator, Tish Delin. To listen to this show, go to the show website at thecontentcrew.com. This is The Content Crew, signing out. Until next time, enjoy the ride and geek out. Geek out.